So we're back at the podcast, and as we can see, like Jesus is growing out his ministry. A lot of people are coming to him. A lot of people are wanting to follow. A lot of people are interested in it, but not fully ready to buy in. So they're coming with, you know, hey, I need more time to do this. I need more time. First, I got to get this right. I got to get that. And Jesus is like, nah, come today. I'm not going to be around here forever. I'm not going to stick around in the city forever. Come today. You don't procrastinate. Seize the day. And a lot of people are like that. Mary was a woman who he meets along his travels with Martha. A woman by the name of Martha welcomed him and made him feel at home. So these, this is one such person who is inviting his disciples and him personally into her home after hearing about him from these forerunners ahead of time. And while Jesus is there, um, they're supposed to, you know, these women are subject to whatever cultural norms at the time. They're cooking for their guests and hosts or whatever. But Mary, her sister, is actually in the room listening as Jesus is teaching. And when Martha's upset, she's like, hey, Jesus, tell, tell her to get in here and help me with this food. And Jesus is like, chill out, Martha. Like, yo, we'll, we'll go to Popeye's after this. It's not going to be a big deal. Uh, and he says, yo, Mary has found her main course. And he's made this analogy previously about you know, people getting bread and what bread is important to eat. And the bread in this case is obviously his teaching, this message. So one essential thing of that is this idea. So previously in chapter 9, when Jesus is traveling about, they are rejected at this Samaritan village. And one of the disciples, James and John, ask him to strike it down. He's like, no, nah, I'm going to keep it moving. So this story which is found in chapter 10 of the gospel of luke the good samaritan the tale of the good samaritan illustrates what it means in jesus's eye to love your neighbor so i'm just going to start from the top just in a religious scholar this is verse 25 of chapter 10 in the eugene patterson translation just then a religion scholar stood up with the question to test jesus teacher what do i need to get eternal life he answered, what's written in God's law? How do you interpret it? He said that you love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and muscle and intelligence, and that you love your neighbor as well as you do yourself. Good answer, said Jesus. Do it, and you'll live. Looking for a loophole, he asked, and just how would you define neighbor? Like Jesus often did when people asked him questions, just as Socrates might, Jesus answered by telling a story. There was once a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. There was once a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. On the way, he was attacked by robbers. They took his clothes, beat him up, and went off, leaving him half dead. Luckily, a priest was on his way down the same road, but when he saw him, he angled across to the other side. So pause right here. There's a man traveling down the street and he's in need of help because he's been attacked. He's been mugged. He's been wronged. He's half dead on the side of the road. But to his, he's happy. He sees a priest coming. He thinks, oh, this priest is really going to help me out right now, right? But he's wrong because the priest act like he didn't see him across the side of the road. Then the Levite religious man showed up. He looked at him, also cross the road. A Samaritan traveling the road came on him. Keep in mind at this point, 
you know, as Jesus has incurred himself, Samaritans don't, they don't mess with the Jews like that. They don't like Jewish people or they don't like these people. So when he's, the Samaritan man is coming down the road and this man who's been beat up, he's half dead. He's like, oh God, now my enemy is coming. And I wonder what he's going to do. I know he's not going to help me. But when he sees the man condition, the man's condition, his heart goes out to him. He gives him first aid, disinfects him, and bandages his wounds. Then he put him on his donkey, led him to an inn, and made him comfortable. In the morning, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take good care of him. If it costs more, put it on my bill. I'll pay you on my way back. Some hero stuff. That's what heroes do. What do you think? Which of the three became a neighbor to the man attacked by robbers? The one who treated him kindly, the religious scholar responded. Jesus says, go and do the same. So the Good Samaritan is like a classic story of Christ. And it's one that is at the heart of Western society. It's this idea, like, I might not know you, but, you know, I'm your brother's keeper, right? Like, I'm not your brother, technically, by blood. I'm your brother in terms of this idea that we have to look out for each other and you know oftentimes it's the case that when you have all this virtue signaling and you have people that say they're this type of way when it gets down to the nitty-gritty they miss the they miss their they miss where they're supposed to act with great power comes great responsibility this is some I know I'm going into like spider-man but I just saw the movie it's fantastic. No way home. <clears throat> I've seen it like three times. I might see it in 4D. But when you understand, if you are a priest, if you, underst- if you understand, if you're a sheik, if you're some religious person or whatever, there's no excuse to treat people a certain way or look the other way or just you can't look the other way. Like it's your responsibility to In this case, the fact that it's just a Samaritan, he's just a dude, you know, doing maybe he's a trucker. Maybe your good Samaritan is the bartender who sees you've had a few too many drinks. Someone, people keep buying you drinks. Bartender says no more drinks. That's a good Samaritan right there. Maybe your good Samaritan is, um, I'm not sure. Your, your, your good Samaritan can come in all different shapes and sizes. So that's why it's important not to judge people. That's important why it's to be kind to people. Because you never know who needs it. And you, you never know like how that might play in the long run. right? So, so there's a reason in the previous chapter when his disciples, Jesus' disciples, ask him, why don't you burn this? Why don't we declare war on this Samaritan village? And Jesus is like, no, we're just going to keep moving. All right, fine. So these people can reject me for who I am and they reject me for the words I speak or they reject me for whatever reason. I'm not going to take any heart, no, any hate in my heart towards them. I'm going to love my enemies. And the way I'm going to love my enemies is I'm just going to walk away. I'm going to leave right here, you know. And, you know, that kind of... And you see in this story, so he actually references that because he knows it'll hit home to the people that are listening and the people that have been following him. It's like, yeah, these people actually reject me, but understand that even this guy can be your neighbor. 
and you have to love your neighbor, love your enemies. On this same theme of what it means to love your neighbor, love your enemies, I'm going to pick up in Matthew, Matthew 18 and 12. Look at it this way. If someone has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders off, doesn't he leave the 99 and go after the one? And if he finds it, doesn't he far make far more over it than over the 99 who stay put? Your father in heaven feels the same way. He doesn't want to lose even one of these simple believers. If a fellow believer hurts you, go and tell him, work it out between the two of you. If he listens, you've made a good friend. If he won't listen, take one or two others along so that the presence of witnesses will keep things honest and try again. If he still won't listen, tell the church. If he still won't listen to the church, you'll have to start over from scratch. Confront him with the need for repentance and offer again God's forgiving love. Take this most seriously. A yes on earth is a yes in heaven. A no on earth is a no in heaven. What you say to one another is eternal. I mean this. When two of you get together on anything at all on earth and make a prayer of it, my Father in heaven goes into action. When two or three of you are together because of me, you can be sure that I'll be there. This comes from a different context, but it's illustrating like this idea again that he mentioned previously in Luke, which is your words kill. Just because you haven't murdered anyone doesn't mean that your words are violence. So when you take say things in anger to your lovers, to your brothers, to your sister, to your family, that's a crime. That's something that you have to reckon with. That's something that is so important that before you even go pray next, before you even go meditate next, you should reach out to that person and ask to make it right. Ask for forgiveness. Try to make it right. At least the best you can. If that person is not willing to forgive, that's on them. And that's actually the next story. So, At that point, Peter got up the nerve to ask, Master, how many times do I forgive a brother or sister who hurts me? Seven? Jesus replied, seven? Hardly. Try 70 times seven. The kingdom of God is like a king who decided to square accounts with his servants. As he got underway, one servant was brought up before him who had run up a debt of $100,000. He couldn't pay up, so the king ordered the man, along with his wife, children, and goods, to be auctioned off at the slave market. The poor wretch threw himself at the king's feet and begged, Give me a chance, and I'll pay it all back. Touched by his plea, the king let him off, erasing the debt. The servant was no sooner out of the room when he came upon one of his fellow servants, who owed him only ten dollars. He seized him by the throat and demanded, pay up now. The poor wretch threw himself down and begged, give me a chance and I'll pay it all back. But he wouldn't do it. He had him arrested and put him in jail until the debt was paid. When the other servants saw this going on, they were outraged and brought a detailed report to the king. The king summoned the man and said, you evil servant, I forgave your entire debt when you begged for mercy. Shouldn't you be compelled to be merciful to your fellow servant who also asked for mercy? The king was furious, and he put the screws to the man until he paid back his entire debt. And that's exactly what my Father in Heaven is going to do to each one of you who doesn't forgive unconditionally anyone who asks for mercy. So, 
we see a double-edged situation here in this messaging. On one hand, if you make the mistake of saying something in anger or saying something you didn't mean or saying something harshly, saying something you, you're caught up in the moment, if you say something like that, go ask for forgiveness. It's okay. And yes, you, the person doesn't have to accept your apology and all you can do is offer it. But, you know, once you do that, you know, then you can go make peace with whoever higher power or once you've asked for forgiveness, that's the most you can do and just be sincere and authentic and genuine about it and mean that. Don't do it falsely. Don't give a half-hearted apology. Mean it. Because as Jesus is saying, the words you say are eternal. The things you say are eternal. So, and it's human nature for us to say things in anger. It's human nature for us to get emotional and snap or pop off or whatever. You want to keep yourself composed. As Jesus says previously, your heart and your mind is where all your actions and words originate from. And sometimes it's easy, right? In your heart, whatever you're going through, in your mind, your insecurities, whatever you're going through, it's easy sometimes for you to take off that burden that you have on yourself, the judgment you cast on yourself, and try to put it on other people. It's easy for people to be upset, and sometimes you take it out on people you care about, your father, your sons, your mothers, your daughters, your sisters, your lovers, whoever, your cousins, co-workers. We're human. We all we all make these mistakes. Try to make it right, you know. Try to apologize and offer it. And the flip side is when someone makes transgressions against you, the flip side is this is hard because forgiving is hard. But Jesus makes this point himself over and over again, which is like the sun still rises on you each day. Murderers alike. The worst criminals, the sun still rises on you each day. Water still runs, the stream still runs, the cloud, the sky is still blue. The birds still chirp. You can still enjoy nature's beauty even behind the jail cell. Even in the courtyard. The harshest criminals, God is saying the sun is still rising. The people that have committed some of the great sins, the sun is still rising. It's hard to forgive. It's hard to let go when people hurt you. Sometimes it's hurt. it hurts a lot. It hurts a whole lot. Things are taken away from you that you love. People are taken away from you that you love. People hurt. But what Jesus is saying here is uh, he uses this story to make it apparent why you must forgive. And I'll redo it. The kingdom of God is like a king who decided to square accounts with his servants. As he got underway, one servant was brought up before him who had run up a debt of $100,000. He couldn't pay up, so the king ordered the man, along with his wife and children, to be auctioned off at the slave market. The poor wretch threw himself at the king's feet and begged, Give me a chance and I'll pay it all back. Touched by his plea, the king let him off, erasing the debts. The servant was no sooner out of the room when he came upon one of his fellow servants who owed him only $10. He seized him by the throat and demanded, pay up, pay up, sucker, pay it up now. The poor wretch threw himself down and begged, give me a chance and I'll pay it all back. 
But unlike the king who gave him a chance, this man wouldn't give a chance to this guy who only owned 10 bucks. He didn't even have 10 bucks. He had him arrested and put in jail until the debt was paid. When other servants saw this, they reported it to the king. The king summoned the man, you evil servant. I forgave you when you begged me for mercy. Shouldn't you give mercy to this other person? And that's like, that's the whole precipice on, uh, that's how you make the world a better place. That, in some sense, I mentioned Spider-Man earlier, but that's kind of the theme of No Way Home. It's like everyone's making mistakes. We all deserve a little bit of grace, a little bit of mercy, and we have to pay that forward. Sometimes you don't have the money to buy your coffee at Starbucks. And when that person behind you says, hey, I got you this time, you have to remember to pay that forward in the same way this is true of forgiveness and how we forgive each other. We have to be kind to each other. You have to love your neighbor the same way you love yourself. Love your enemies the same way you love yourself. And he uses the tale of the Good Samaritan. He uses this parable about the unforgiving servant to illustrate that. There's actually one more. There's actually one more story. And I'm actually going to group it all here because I think it's because it's important and it's actually one of my favorite stories in all of the gospel and anytime someone asks me about the gospel and uh, I'll tell them this story it's the parable of the adulterous woman interestingly this story is in John and John is the most recent book in the gospels Mark, Matthew, Luke, John and there's like some dispute over how authentic this this uh parable is but i'm just going to read it and you can tell me if the jesus that you've been reading would respond in the same way 